Let us pray together. Loving God, we ask that you would instill in us your kind of wisdom. That we would be willing to make fools of ourselves on account of your name, living into your kinds of commandments, your kind of vision for this world. And may the words of our mouths and the meditations of all our hearts be truly acceptable in your sight. O God, our rock and our redeemer. Amen. You may remember that two weeks ago, I talked about what it means for you and me to be prophets, people who speak God's truth to God's people, who are willing to speak God's truth even to the powerful, the authoritative, the intimidating. And I talked about what it would mean for us here in the United Parish in Brookline or in any church to be a kind of school for the prophets. You'll note that I titled today's sermon God's Kind of Foolishness, but in making my way to Sunday, today I might call it Christian Civics. Now, those of us who had good civics classes or who learned schoolhouse rock on television as a kid know the preamble of the Constitution. It goes like this. We, the people of the United States, in order to form a more perfect union, you can say it along with me, establish justice, ensure domestic tranquility, provide for the common defense, promote the general welfare, and ensure the blessings of liberty for ourselves and our posterity, do ordain and establish this Constitution of the United States of America. It is the beginning of a long document that has been the source of decades of contention and disagreement, but also a grounding, something that people like Hamilton and Madison and Adams and Jefferson tried to put in place, and the preamble sets the course for how we are to be as a nation. In the same way, Jesus gave these nine Beatitudes before he launched on the Sermon on the Mount as a sort of preamble to his kind of ministry of how things should go. You can look in the nine Beatitudes and find the basis for every holy commandment, for every Christian virtue, for the way that we are asked to live our lives as followers of Christ. And I call this Christian civics because I want for all of us to be good American citizens. But more importantly, for all of us here together, I want us to be good Christians. Because I believe ultimately our citizenship is with God. Ultimately, our citizenship is in heaven, and our souls are the only passport we have. And in the end, that is all we will be left with. And so I look at the Beatitudes and I think this is a recipe, these are guidelines, this is a preamble for how I am to configure my soul in order to make the words in the Lord's Prayer, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven, to make those words at all true or at all possible. 
So I'd ask you now, this is going to be a class for just a moment. It may make some of you uncomfortable, but go ahead and look at your call to worship. There you will find the nine Beatitudes. You will find a tenth Beatitude at the end that I added myself. But I'd like you to look at the first nine. They all start with the word blessed. I'd like you to scan them again, and I ask you first, which one do you like the best? And I'd like to hear from you. And the second question is, which one do you struggle with the most? So just take a few moments to look them over, the one you like the best and the one you struggle with the most. you want, you can take a pen out and circle them. Yes, Adelia. Blessed, Adelia likes, blessed are the merciful because it calls us to be bigger than our anger. Yes. Oh, sorry, Amy. Amy likes, blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness because it means you're on the right track in trying to help those who need help. Anne, did you? Yes, Anne. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called children of God, says it all. Gwen, anything you'd add? That's Gwen's favorite as well. Yes, we've got a lot of peacemakers here. We've got some peacemakers cheering down here. Yes, Barbara. Blessed are the meek, because they can't fight back. Yes, Phoebe. Phoebe says she likes, blessed are the poor in spirit, because it reminds us that God is always with us, just like a raindrop on the road. Anyone else? Convivium, anything? Yes, Doc. Dot likes blessed are the pure in heart because it reminds her to get out of her the stuff that is negative. It's what I'm hoping that we do with our beginning centering prayer each Sunday. Okay, what are the ones you struggle with? It might be one that other people like. Gwen had her hand up first. <laughs> blessed are the pure in heart. That's just a struggle to have purity in our heart. Yes, the end. Uh, uh, Leanne struggles with being meek because she doesn't think God wants us to be meek. And, and we'll talk about that in just a second. There's a translation problem there. 
Yes. And seconds that. Depending on what it means, says Kate. Yes, Amy. So Amy struggles with, blessed when you are reviled and persecuted for my sake. I'm not sure if it, there are two that are kind of similar there at the end, eight and nine. Because, and also in the light of the current policies and things that are going on, what does that call us as Christians to do? Excellent. Yes, Ben. Blessed are you who st- uh, who stand up for righteousness' sake. Because Ben is saying it, it's ask us to stand up and do something that might be dangerous. Yes, Deb. Right. The last one says, blessed are you. It's hard because it brings it home personally. I'm not sure if Jesus was talking just to the disciples here or to all of us, but for our purposes, we'll consider it all of us. Anybody else? Yes, Phoebe. So, so Phoebe is saying she also struggles with the one for being persecuted and reviled uh, because of the fear of jail. And having enacted in lots of civil disobedience, she's aware of that very real fear. Thank you all. I'm sure there are other things, and I encourage you to jot down your ideas. So I'm going to rely on the notes of one of my favorite commentators here, Tom Long, about the Beatitudes. When I preached on the Beatitudes three years ago, I remembered the story of Judge Roy Moore down in Alabama who thought that we should have the Ten Commandments in our courthouses, and that they have a big monument there that they did not want to remove. This was about religious diversity in our country. And I actually think if we're going to choose anything from the Christian text, I'm very aware that the Ten Commandments are emblazoned in symbol in our Supreme Court building, along with Hammurabi, the Babylonian, Muhammad, as well as Solon and Aristotle and uh, Confucius, among others many different sources for our law and the way we do business as a country. But I would choose the Beatitudes because they are not at all clear, because they leave us scratching our heads, as Jesus left many of us scratching our heads about what he was actually trying to teach us, because they would provoke conversations just as the Constitution of the United States provokes conversation. So poor in spirit. It's interesting, Luke says, just blessed are the poor. But Matthew makes it very clear, poor in spirit. Now, according to my esteemed commentator, poor in spirit actually means those of us who feel like spiritual beggars. That we know we don't have the resources to go on anymore. We are tired flat out. And Jesus is saying, the kingdom of heaven, whatever you think it may have been, It is for the spiritual beggars to come 
and be fed. I'm sure in our lives we all know spiritual beggars. We may feel like a spiritual beggar right now or have been one at times in our lives. But the good news that I believe he's trying to share here is that there is plenty at the spiritual table in heaven for you, and our job is to make that a reality. Blessed are those who mourn. You may remember the commercial years ago of the Native American sitting on his horse, looking out over the landscape of the United States, and a single tear comes down his cheek. Because he mourned for all the sadness collectively at what had happened to the land. This is the kind of mourning that Jesus is talking about when the mourning goes beyond ourselves but looks at the pain of the whole world and carries that sadness with us. Because if we're really living out the kingdom here on earth, those people will be comforted and those people will be reassured. That's the prophetic vision that we're given in the Beatitudes. The meek. I struggle with the meek. I think about you here in Brookline and Boston, and I doubt any of you have thought about raising your children to be meek. I certainly wasn't raised to be meek. That's why I have enough foolishness to get up in front of you Sunday after Sunday to try to say something. Actually, a closer translation of that might be gentleness of spirit. Long says that it means having the patient trusting that everything will work out in God's kind of time, and our challenge is to get in rhythm with that kind of time. It means returning again and again to nonviolence in a continually violent world. It means being content with the basic necessities of life in a possession-consuming culture. Meek, in this context, means being centered in the soul, the passport that God gave you, and living out of that sense of integrity. Because then you will inherit the earth. You will have a freedom that can only be known in divine ways. Number four, blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness. Righteous is this concept used throughout the Hebrew Scriptures and into the New Testament about what it means to be right with God, people who are generous with what they have, people who seek justice whenever possible, people who are always on the lookout to seek to do good for others. Those are the ones who hunger and thirst for righteousness, and they will be filled when we are living out the kingdom. As I say these, you might think about, as we enter into the rest of 2017, which one of these you want to live out the most. Number five, blessed are those who are merciful, those who show kindness toward others, for they shall receive mercy. This is Jesus' kind of karma. That when we put out mercy and care for others, it returns to us again. Number six, blessed are the pure in heart, and I appreciate the honesty of the people who said they struggle with this one, for they will see God. People of integrity, backed up by convictions, people who settle themselves in prayer, remembering that there is a source, a ground of being deeper than anything here on earth that sustains us and feeds us. Blessed are the peacemakers. Many of you resonated with that. And here, 
Jesus means the ancient concept of shalom, the peace of all creation. When the lion can lie down with the lamb, when the child can be there with the serpent, when all of us can live in a harmony and balance with one another, not just as human beings, but with all of creation, all the animals, all of the physical world, when we take care of our environment, when we are good stewards, when peace, real harmony, is in every corner of the earth, not only to halt wars and disagreements, but when we have harmony in our relationships, when we are able to spackle and smooth over the things in our interpersonal lives that disrupt us. And the ones that you and many others struggle with and seem all too relevant this weekend are blessed when you are persecuted for righteousness' sake. And the second, blessed when people revile you and persecute you and utter all kinds of evil against you falsely on Christ's account. I believe it's in these last two where you and I are called to do a lot of work these days to stand up for what we believe in, even when it's not popular, even when it may not be the edict of the government. Paul, in his letter, talks about the difference between God's kind of wisdom and worldly wisdom, about God's kind of foolishness and the world's kind of foolishness. He says in there, to consider your own call brothers and sisters, you prophets among us, because not many of us consider ourselves wise by human standards. Not many of us consider ourselves powerful, although we have more power than we think. Not many of us were of noble or wealthy birth, and yet we have come here today to try to center in what God is calling us to do. If you look at the whole sweep of Christian history, of biblical history, you will see that in the hints and whispers of God's work, God favors unlikely heroes and the non-starter methods. For instance, God starts out a new nation with a pair of childless senior citizens, Abraham and Sarah. Frederick Beekner said, shall a child be born in the geriatric ward? Shall Medicare pick up the bill? Again and again, God chooses the younger over the preferred older child. Jacob, not Esau. Joseph, not the other 11. He rescues people by tapping a spokesperson, Moses, who stuttered. Not the best orator of Israel, but the one that God wanted to speak up. He gave the nation its greatest king by taking the runt of the litter, David, the less strapping son, even God kept saying things like, people look at the outward appearance, but God looks at the heart. And the prophet said it again and again, the shoot will come out of a stump that is the sprig of hope. It will be the despised one from whom people hide their faces, the uncomely one, the sheep led to slaughter. That is how God works in the world, that the one who's going to come and found this religion wasn't born in a palace to king and queen, but in a goat's feed trough in a stable because there was no room for them. That's how God works, with a carpenter's son from Nowheresville, Nazareth, who would be the one to spout parables that no one could understand even 2,000 years later, 
and who would say again and again that the greatest treasure, the kingdom of heaven, lies within each one of us. And he would say, it's the meek who would inherit the earth, the weeping ones who will find laughter in the end, the last, the least, the lost, the lonely, who are God's kind of people. I invite you to read the news with that kind of lens. Now, I believe as a school for prophets, we are called to go out and speak the truth. I believe we're going to be called to stand up more for our beliefs and the people we support, to create rings of support and protection. This is not how the world normally works, and it's not new. It's been going on for a long time. It's not new in this country, and it's not new around the world. The people in Corinth were not celebrities, they were not power brokers, they were not scholars, they were not beautiful people gracing the covers of magazines, they were simple, ordinary folks like you and me who the world often looked down upon. And they were beatitude kind of people who sought to be righteous, pure in heart, gentle of spirit, sometimes even poor in spirit because they knew they were hungry and what they were hungry for. You see, I believe that in a world where might is always said to make right, where the strong prevail, where the powerful crush the weak, you and I are called to speak up again and again for this kind of foolishness of God, for always looking for the forgotten and the out of place. And it may mean standing up with our lives, it may mean going to jail. It may mean being as brave as we can possibly be, but it also means coming again to dip at the well of God's kind of love and to share it abundantly because you and I are called to do it. And I believe God will see us through whatever the course we need to take. Amen.